Good morning, folks. Uh, we are on to our second part of our series, trying to solve the biggest question that anyone uh, can really ask, and that is, what is God's will for my life? What does he want me to do? What does he want me to be? Who does he want me to be? Now, we start on Sunday by starting with the most basic point, and that is, well, God wants you to be saved. And we spent time looking at what it means to be saved, what we're saved from, how that looks in our lives. The question then that we come to is, well, what next? What happens after we get saved? And sometimes churches will say, well, the next step is that you conform. Now, they never express it that way, of course, but they say it in as many words. Start looking like the other people in this church. Pick up our habits, pick up our priorities, jump on the same pedestals we're on. You're one of us now. Conform. Ironically, the Bible's advice is the opposite. It says, don't conform. Stop thinking about what other people are doing and think about Christ. Be transformed. Uh, I remember hearing about how they catch monkeys in Africa. And I, I remember as I heard it, I wasn't quite sure if it was true. So I found a YouTube video of it. Now I'm not going to show it to you or anything like that there. But to catch a monkey in Africa, you take a coconut. You bore a hole in the top of the coconut so the monkey could get his hand in easily enough. But you put a bit of fruit in at the bottom, like a bit of banana or something. In. So the monkey can get his hand in, no problem. But once he grabs the fruit, uh, the fist then can't get out of that same small little hole. Now the solution is easy. For the monkey to escape, let go of the banana. But the monkey won't do that. And so the hunter just walks up, kind of nonchalant. Uh, with a net ready to put it over the monkey. And the monkey starts to panic trying to get the fist out, but it won't let go of the piece of fruit. So you've got a monkey that's trapped because of its own greed. Now, that little illustration I was thinking about over the last couple of days, and I thought that there are what I would call Christian monkeys. Believers in Christ who act like those little monkeys, grabbing a hold of some little prize that the world offers at the cost of what is most important. Life has become nothing more than what they get rather than who they are and what they give away. And when we should be surrendering too often, we're trying to seize. We're grabbing. If you live that way, you'll be trapped. Jesus said these words in Matthew 10. If you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give it up for me, you'll find it. And when we come this morning to the book of Romans, we get the same message again. Paul has spent the first 11 chapters of this book telling us of the blessings of God, what, the, what he calls the mercies of God, telling us all that God has done for us. He's forgiven us. He's declared us righteous. He's made us his children. He's given us promises like all good things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And he's given us so much more. He's also reminded us that he did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all. So how will he not then with him freely give us all things? That's what God has done. And so Paul pivots in this chapter, chapter 12, and goes, okay, now it's your turn. For the, ne the next five chapters of Romans, the apostle Paul will just pivot and say, okay, what is our response going to be to these 11 chapters? And so the answer is very simple. Echoing what Christ said in John, says, give up your life and find something greater. That's what God has given us. With what God has given to us, here's what we have to give him. He sets up in these first two verses. Let's read Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. 
says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's what we're called to do next. Without doing what we've just read, without doing this, we're going to just be like little Christian monkeys. We're holding on to the allurements of this life. And it's all about what we can get rather than what we're prepared to surrender. There's a lot of excitement in the sporting world this week as football gets ready for return. I have to be honest, I'm really excited about the next couple of weeks. But one sport that started back already, I think on Monday, was horse racing. Now, in Northern Ireland, I think there's only one place that does dog racing in Drumbo, I think, maybe. But um, I doubt they're open yet because a lot of what they do is hospitality-based. But you know how dog racing works. The dogs are lined up, the gates open, and the mechanical rabbit just takes off and the dogs chase the rabbit round and round the circuit. I did hear about one dog track in America. I think it was Florida, probably it was Florida. They had an awkward malfunction. The race started as normal. The rabbit was flying out just out of reach of the dogs. And when they made the first turn, there was an electrical malfunction. The rabbit just stopped, exploded, just poof, it died. This fake rabbit just goes up in flames. And so you've just got like this wire on a stick with a few shards of cloth and smoke coming up. The dogs were so confused. They didn't know what to do with what happened. A lot of them just laid down in the track. One of them was chasing his tail round and round and round and round and round. The rest of them were just barking, howling at the crowds. Not a single dog finished the race. I think life can be like that sometimes. I, I think there's a lot of people who live their lives exactly uh, like they pursue these rabbits. They have these dreams that are always just out of reach. It could be a career, it could be an education, it could be a relationship, whatever it happens to be. All of these things are goals that people that give people purpose and meaning and motivate them. And the problem is that whenever that rabbit disappears, they lose hope. They lose momentum and everything just stops. Everything was wrapped up in that relationship. Everything was wrapped up in that career. Everything was wrapped up in that lifestyle. Now, we all need a goal. We all need a purpose. The Christian needs a goal. The Christian needs a purpose. The Christian needs a motive for living. <coughs> Excuse me. And so Paul gives us one right here. And if I were to sum up the motivation for a Christian, he say to someone, okay, here's what you do now that you're saved. I would say, because he died for you, you should live for him. Now, he's done more than die for you. He's done a whole lot more than just die for you. But because he gave his life for you in death, so give your life for him in life. Live for him. It's your turn. It's your move. It's your response. And this is where Paul begins. With the presentation of our bodies to say, I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So first of all, notice who he's talking to here. He's writing to the brothers. In other words, this chapter is addressed to the Christians, our spiritual family. Remember last time we are talking about being adopted into the forever family? Right, well, this is who he's talking to. He's talking to the family. Sometimes I think we as Christians, we can be guilty of trying to impose our values on an unbelieving world. We want a Christian culture. We want a Christian society. We want Northern Ireland to be a Christian country. Listen, the Christian society that we're going to is called heaven. We're not going to get it here. 
we get really angry when people who don't think the same, or don't believe the same, or don't value the same, for some reason don't act the same as us. But surely that shouldn't surprise us. We shouldn't expect unbelievers to act like believers. If you want a Christian culture, you have to have a culture filled with Christians. And trust me, even then it's not going to be perfect. But if you want a Christian society and a Christian culture, you need to be an evangelist. Win them to Christ. That should be first and foremost. But when it comes to imposing my belief system and value system, okay, I have to evangelize. But I do not expect a secular culture to adopt the Christian lifestyle. I do not expect sinners to do much more than sin. That's my expectation. I expect sinners to be sinful. And guess what? They're really good at it. I expect Christians to surrender, to sacrifice. And that's the distinction. Therefore, Paul says, you guys, because of what God has done, I'm calling on you to be different to the rest of the world. And he's going to say to believers, I want you to present your body. So this is for us. So that's based on an awareness. So let's go from the audience to the awareness. Paul is making this appeal. He's basing it on the awareness of certain truths. Truths that he has covered in these first 11 chapters of Rome. He says, I appeal to you, therefore. So what he's trying to say is that based on everything that I've just said in these 11 chapters building up to this moment, be aware of it. One translation says, with eyes wide open to the mercies of God. Now look, obviously we haven't been working through the Book of Romans together at the moment. Uh, so let me just give you a quick rundown to how Paul builds up this understanding of how merciful God is. First of all, Paul says that we're condemned under our sin. We're under God's wrath, but we can be made righteous by Jesus Christ. That's chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Romans. And then um, he says this justification happens. But it doesn't happen because we've contributed to it. It happens freely by faith. Just believing in Christ. That's enough to make you justified before God. In the same way Abraham was accounted, God accounted it, uh, to him for righteousness. That, that's chapter 4. We don't add works and effort on top of what he has done. He is enough. Then he goes on to say that we have access to God anytime, day and night. We have this hope of heaven. And between now and then, we have this life. And in the worst moments in this life, the trials of life, God promises to shape us through those times that they're not meaningless. And that's chapter 5. Then in chapter 6, 7 and 8, Paul says that we're slaves to sin and we've been freed, spiritually speaking. We're freed from the law, freed from sin, free and, and adopted into his family. With the Holy Spirit living inside us. Then in chapters 9, 10 and 11, Paul says, look at all these promises that God has made to the Jewish nation of which he'll keep all of them. And so from chapters 1 to 11, here are the mercies of God. And so now, based on that, I beg you, I encourage you, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by all those mercies, that you live in a way that reflects us. Because of what God has done for you. Live like this. Live as though you've been justified. Live as though you're forgiven. Live as though you're bound for heaven. And so in chapter 12. And get this. Why the word therefore is there. It's there for a reason. It's that transition. Here's what you should know. Here's the basis. Here's the foundation therefore do this therefore live this way so it's like a graduation chapter uh, chapters 1 to 11 paul's taking us to school he's telling us this foundation he's given us the basics and then he puts the cap and gown on us and says okay go get a life go get a job 
Now it's your turn. In response to God's mercy, live, reflect this. I think the best way to do this is for you to think of this individually. Let me give you an example using my own life. All right. Nobody kid in Balamina, not particularly popular, not particularly sporty, just a face in the crowd. God saved me. That's a mercy. That's God's mercy to me. And then he gave me a great foundation in a church that taught the word of God and gave me people around me who were praying for me and supporting me. That's God's mercy. And then uh, I was single and in 20, 2005, God provided an incredible life companion, caring, compassionate. Ruth, by the way, just in case you're, you're thinking of someone else, <laughs> someone who's practically minded to come alongside me, be my life's mate and companion whenever my head's away off in the clouds. And as I was going through university, planning to go into teaching, God closed those doors and brought me into youth ministry and eventually here to arts. All of these things are the mercies of God. God's merciful to me. And when I look at that and I take stock personally, Here's my bottom line conclusion. How can I not serve a God who's done that? Those are his mercies. So that's the first, the presentation of our bodies. Now look at the appeal of that in particular. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, what? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So get the idea here, right? Hear God. I have to respond to you. I have to. So, so here's me. Here I am. Here's my body. Here's what I have. I'm presenting it to you. I'm presenting our body. Now, the idea of this, it's a technical word. It's tied to the priesthood. Uh, it's a Levitical word, a priestly word, to present your bodies. It's a word that was used of the priests in the Old Testament who would present an animal to be sacrificed on the altar. He'd take the animal, lay hands on it, bring the animal to its death, and that animal would be burnt on the altar, a very apt picture because you know uh, what Peter says, of course, that we're a royal priesthood in First Peter 2, verse uh, 5. We're a royal priesthood or a holy priesthood. So the idea of all this is that as a Christian, I am one of God's priests now uh, and part of this new covenant. So I give him my life. I present myself to him. I am worshipping with my life. Worship then is an experience that I should take that should take place every single day as I present my body to him for to use. Something else I want you to notice so that it's a presentation of a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now this is what gets a bit different from the Old Testament because you know, any of you who know about the Jewish sacrifices, the priests never did living sacrifices. They were always dead. The priests killed the animal, let the blood drain out, they drained it all out, placed the carcass on the altar and then offered it as a burnt offering. But see, here's where, where it changes a little bit. Paul says, look, no, this is the New Testament. It's not a dead sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice. In other words, it's a lifestyle that is sacrificial. And here's the problem with a living sacrifice as opposed to a dead sacrifice. The main one is that living sacrifices have a tendency to want to squirm off the altar. If it's dead, no problem. It's not going to move. It's got no, no interest in moving. But if it's a living sacrifice... It could get problematic because it goes something like this. God, I want to give you my life. I dedicate my life to you. Oh, actually, you know what? Hold on. There's something cool over here. I want to go see this. I want to go to this. And then I'm going to go. But I'll be back. Okay, wait, wait, wait. I rededicate my life to you now, Lord. Oh, oh wait. This bit looks a wee bit too hard. I'm going to hop off. I'll get back. I'm back again now. Yes, I'm rededicating my life again. And it's on off. I'm sure you know that tendency. 
I definitely know that I know this tendency. We have a tendency to want to squirm off the altar. Then every now and again, whether it's at a big conference or, or a New Horizon or some special service, whether it's a, a Sunday service or a worship time or something that we're doing, and uh, you'll get back on the altar again, only to eventually try and wriggle yourself out of it again. So the idea is to present your body, but to do it once and for all. But if you need to, to do it regularly to him, to do it daily, every month, before you get up. So what does it mean? to present your body why does god care about your body i'm bringing this up because you hear some christians talking about um how, how we do what we do with our body doesn't matter that it's distinct it's separate uh to to the spiritual side and so they'll say like it's not important man all right the spirit's that important but so whatever you do whatever you want with your body it's the spirit that's important. So you can kind of do whatever you want Friday, Saturday night, but as long as you were up on Sunday with a good heart, then that's okay. No. Let, let me tell you something. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, tells them why their body is so important. He says, your temple, your body's a temple to the Holy Spirit. So if it's a temple of the Holy Spirit, that temple is not just a place where sacrifices are made. It's a community center for everyone, okay? It was a base of operations for the entire society, the entire community in Jerusalem. Your body, as God's temple then, is to become a base of operations for God to work his will around you. And the scripture is filled with great examples of people who presented their bodies to God. And God moved powerfully through them. Think of example, Sarah. In the Old Testament, Sarah's womb was barren, but she gave her body, dedicated it to God, presented herself to God. And by Abraham and Sarah, God filled it with Isaac. Moses, God called Moses to be a spokesman. Moses said, look, you've got the wrong guy. I can't even speak. I st 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 stutter. God says, look, you're the guy. Bro. You present your body to me, Moses, and watch what I do with it. And he did. And he became not only a spokesman to Pharaoh, but for the children of Israel and the lawgiver for God. Think of David, the hands of a simple shepherd boy who was used to chasing lambs around the desert, but when his body was presented to God, he became the, the giant slayer. He became a king. He, he reigned over one of the biggest empires that Israel's ever seen. Think of Paul, spread, feet spreading the gospel around the world because he presented his body to God. So your body, and my body can be a base of operations for God to work through. He wants to touch the world through you. Or should I say, even better, he wants to touch your world through you. The people you know, the people you come into contact with. He wants to impact them through you. Now, your body was once a base of operations for the enemy. It was in full use. You surrendered uh, at one time to the devil, basically to do his work. Now, you never saw it like that. You saw it as just chasing the rabbit around. You saw it as the monkey grabbing the banana, but getting stuff like, this is cool, this is fun. I'm doing my thing. But at one time, it was a base of operation for evil. And I want you to see the difference. Uh, I want you to compare something. Just go back a few chapters. Back to Romans 3, verse 12. It says, they've all turned aside. They've, they have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Okay, now watch this bit. Watch what he does with these parts of the body. Their throat is an open tomb with their tongues. They have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their, lisp, their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. 
there is no fear of God before their eyes. So what he's saying is human depravity is expressed through our bodies. And in the same way, just as you've allowed your body to be used for evil, now let it be used for God's best good. Present your body to God. And just as human depravity is revealed through the body, human spirituality is to be revealed through the body. Feet that walk God's paths, lips that speak God's truth, hands that reach out to help in God's name, ears that listen to breaking hearts with the heart of Christ, mouth that spreads the gospel around the world. And just as Jesus took on a body to accomplish God's work, God uses our bodies to accomplish his work. I sometimes get this thought, and I've told this before, I sometimes sort of sit back and just marvel that God would give us the job of evangelism. He could have used the angels and they'd have been so much better at it than us. I mean, just think if you hang an 8 trillion watt speaker system from the moon and broadcast to the earth via an angel, that would get people's attention. People would listen to that. But God instead has chosen to use human bodies to spread his message and to do his work. The foolish things that the world Paul calls in 1 Corinthians. So think how exciting your life can be tomorrow if you woke up with this thought. God can use my body today. He wants to use me. So I'm going to give it to him. I'm going to present it to him. Today and every day I'm going to wake up with that thought. And Paul says that when you do that, it's logical. It's your reasonable service. He would assess that at the end of verse 1, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. That's reasonable. The smartest thing that you could ever do. Paul says reasonable, we say rational, reasonable, logical. Now, some translations like the New International might say it's a spiritual act of worship. Now, I like that. I think it's a fair translation. I like the idea where it says that true worship isn't just about singing songs on a Sunday. Uh, it's about a life that is obedient and presented to God. But I have to say, I do prefer the translation of it being logical or rational or reasonable service. Let me put it together for you this one. Because God has been so good, because God has been so merciful, so abundant in his provision, the smartest thing, the most logical thing, the most rational, reasonable thing, and therefore the most spiritual thing I can do is say, here God, here's my body, use it. That makes the most sense. Based on his mercies, I should do that. So folks, what does God want for your life? Number one, he wants you to be saved. Number two, he wants you to sacrifice your life. He wants you to show it. He wants you to let him use you as a beacon in the darkness, as light in the darkness, as warmth in the cold realities of this world. So present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Lord, here I am. Use me for your glory. Don't be conformed to the way other people are doing things. Yes, even in churches, don't be conformed by what they're doing. Be transformed by your, you're just be overwhelmed by what God has done. I love the fact that the Bible calls us to be non-conformists. Don't just go with the flow. Don't just follow the patterns of other people. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount told his disciples, don't be like them. Okay, he's referring to the world there. Unbelievers, don't be like them. But J.B. Phillips takes verse 2 and translates it this way. He says, don't let the world squeeze you into its own mould. And I'd say, don't let anyone squeeze you into their mould. It's a very powerful rendition. Don't let the world squeeze you into its own mould. Don't go with the flow. Any dead fish can just float downstream. 
stand up, stick out for the right reasons. And that's not easy to do. It's easier said than done. One of our greatest fears as human beings is to be rejected by a group or by a crowd. We want to fit in. We want them to like us. We want to be popular. We want to be well thought of. We don't really want to say, well, look, excuse me, I disagree with everyone here. And so very often what we do is we conform. And we end up being, well, molded by their will for our lives and their plans for our lives instead of God's. If you're safe, live in response to the mercies of God in your life. Count your blessings. Rejoice that God has saved you. Then live like you meant that. It's not always easy, but it's all, it's, it's just far better than being a Christian monkey, having your hand in the coconut, grabbing a hold, not letting go. I want it, I want it, I want it. Live a life surrendered, not seizing. Let's pray. Lord, here we are with mouths and hands and eyes and feet at your disposal. We present our bodies to you for you to use to reach a world, to reach our community. Lord, we pray that as we do that, as you would renew our mind, we would just walk in and discover what your will is, which is always good and always pleasing to you and always satisfying to us. And so, Father, we commit on this day and the rest of our week, our, our Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Friday. And salary all to you, for you, to do what you want to do in us and through us and for us ultimately, which is always for good. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, I, I hope you are staying safe. Um, remember to keep reaching out to one another. And as things ease, elders will be meeting together soon again and we'll keep trying to update you as best as we can. Uh, don't be scared to ring us up and ask if, if you're not sure what's happening. Um, but circumstances are always changing. We're trying to be as wise and as protective as possible. And so uh, bear with us as we try to just move forward um, with prudence. Uh, we love you too much to take risks. And so we want to just be wise and take everyone in the church into consideration. And so... Bear with us as we do that, but please keep praying for us as we try to lead through. I've never passed through, through a pandemic. The elders have never led through a pandemic before. We're all feeling our way here. Uh, and so please pray for us and get alongside us as best as you can. And um, don't be scared. Uh, if, if you need us, call us. Let me know if, if I can help you in any way. God bless. And I'll speak to you soon.